0: And I'm going to begin this morning uh, a two-part series on mental health. And um, I'm really excited to share on this theme. The title of my message this morning is uh, Mental Health and the Gentleness of God. And maybe as you're getting resettled, you can turn to Matthew chapter 12 because this is where our primary scripture is going to be. Uh, after I introduce this whole subject. You know, if you've been following the news, if you've been looking at all the reports that are online, there's a lot now that's coming out with regard to our mental health. Uh, Just this past week, CNN had this headline, the coronavirus pandemic's impact on global mental health is already extremely concerning. This article went to talk about the high prevalence of mental distress in countries all across the globe due to this pandemic especially among healthcare workers, which of course we understand. And the surveys are showing that wherever this pandemic is, the healthcare workers are under great stress, but also the population at large is experiencing uh, a lot of consequence of this as well. Uh, The WHO director has said the impact of the pandemic on people's mental health is already extremely concerning. In Italy, Spain, parents have reported that while in confinement during the pandemic, 77% of children are having difficult concentrating, 39% have restlessness and irritability, 38% have nervousness, 31% are feeling lonely. And I'm sure that for you parents that are homeschooling your kids or you have been in, uh, staying at home uh, with your children, we understand some of the stress that you're walking through. And just know that on Thursday night at our prayer meetings, we are praying for you and praying for God's grace to be strong. We also see this headline here from Globe and Mail, which is published out of Toronto. Again, this past week, headline reads, Even when COVID-19 is beaten, the stress and depression of the pandemic will still be with us. How do we recover? And this article goes on to also just cite an Angus Reid poll saying that stress is rising, depression is deepening, anxiety is spiking and half of Canadians say that their mental health has worsened during this pandemic. Distress hotlines are reporting escalating numbers, and uh, among those who are self-reporting about their productivity, and they have said that their optimism has been falling steeply since the lockdown began. And then, unfortunately, on even more the negative side, we have these headlines from the New York Times. The coronavirus could cause Uh, child abuse epidemic. And we know now from statistics that domestic violence, child abuse, unfortunately, is on the rise. And this crisis has created conditions for a rise in violence that young victims will find difficult to escape. So besides all the economic and physical tolls of COVID that we hear about all the time, these articles inform us of the large emotional toll that is happening behind the scenes. And just as subsidies and stimulus are being rolled out to undergird our financial crisis, so mental health resources need to be deployed to help us take on these very personal and human battles. I'm proud as a Canadian, I think we can be proud as Canadians, that the government and other social agencies have been very proactive in providing resources. They are truly tackling the consequences of COVID in a comprehensive way, and we can be grateful for that. Now, as a staff, we've compiled a list of resources for you for any help that you may need during this time. Uh, Please see Jillian Lowe, our ministry coordinator, who has worked with uh, Betsy Abram to pull this list together. So that will be a resource that's available to you. But of course, the best part is as a church, we get to talk about an additional resource to help us with mental health, and that is God himself. As Christians, we have the greatest mental health physician in the world, and that's who I want to talk about this morning. So let's uh, commit this time in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that you see that's what's happening all around the globe, and you are not far away. But Lord, you are right here for us. And as I share this morning, as I preach, Lord, let your word come forth with clarity. Let it speak to our hearts, God, about who you are. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the various resources that we're pointing to you, the one I want to commend in particular is a Christian based online video course called The Sanctuary. It was produced right here in Vancouver and the quality and the content of this material is outstanding. For those of you that have been in the Alpha course, you know how well done that is. This course called The Sanctuary is on par with that. So I'm very, very excited about it. It's an eight part series. It's a combination of um, testimonies and video clips and study um, notes and things like this and they touch on some really, really great topics around this whole area of mental health. From what is mental health to what is mental illness, talking about how do we recover, how does companionship and self-care come into this. And there's a lot of very compelling testimonies. And really the centerpiece uh, of this whole curriculum is the testimonies. And I want to just show you a little clip so you get a little bit of flavor of what it's like. This is from session five. Um, There's eight altogether, but this is a little clip from session five. This clip represents the kind of testimonies and stories that are included in the series. They're very vulnerable, they're very raw, they're very real. And I I recommend every small group in the church to go through this series at some time this year, or you can easily do it as friends with just two or three people, or even with people outside the church that want to hear about how God factors into mental wellness. Now, we have purchased this series for the entire church, and it's free for anyone to use with a lifetime subscription, and uh, on the web you go to sanctuarymentalhealth.org, and the two passwords that you can enter in are sanctuarycommunity2018, and the organization is offering a free subscription to anyone uh, through May 31st um, of this year. If you just type in the password mental health, you can have your own personal copy. So either way, you'll get full access a lifetime subscription to this resource, and I really recommend uh, that you look into it. So when we talk about uh, mental health, and I'm gonna be including some of the insights from this uh, series, but when we talk about mental health, there are a couple foundational things that we need to keep in mind. And the first thing that I, I wanna just point out for us is that mental health occurs on a continuum from mental wellness to mental illness. The depth of our mental struggles can be shallow, or deep, can be light or heavy, can be short-lived or protracted. There can be preconditions involved or none at all. There can be experiences that play into it, or there can be experiences that we experience that later impact us. It can occur at any age. It can range from the blues and feeling melancholy that quickly goes away after a good talk with a friend or a nice piece of apple pie, to full-on clinical conditions like psychosis, which is defined as a break from reality, or bipolarity, manic episodes, or delusional events. Now, in this video series, there's a pastor by the name of Daryl Johnson. He's one of the most respected pastors in Vancouver. He talks about a deep depression that he fell into during his pastorate, and he literally prayed for God to take his life. He just wanted to die for no apparent reason. Well-known Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church lost his son to suicide in 2013 after his son's 27-year battle with mental illness. Lead Pastor Alistair Stern of St. Peter's Fireside in downtown Vancouver also has a testimony in this series, and he talks about his total loss, his total loss of sense of purpose even while he was planting the church. Now for me, and my love for church planting, and to all of a sudden have the plug pulled out of you and to hear his testimony that it was just gone was just compelling to listen to and to hear. These are real-life examples that hit home and speak to our very human condition. Elijah, the great prophet in the Old Testament, nearly lost his entire ministry when he battled suicidal thoughts. Whatever situation you may be in, these are all very felt, and personal situations. And there's no doubt that mental health is emerging as one of the biggest global challenges around the world today, especially among young people. My son Matthew, who studies at the University of Minnesota, has said that mental health is probably the number one issue among his classmates today. However, in dealing with mental health, there has been an entrenched bias and long-standing stigma surrounding it. Mental health issues are seen in different ways, in a different way than physical problems. There's no shame for someone wearing a sling if their arm is broken or if someone is battling cancer, but there is and has been societal disdain associated with someone struggling with mental illness. There is a mind-body dichotomy in our culture where if your body is broken, hey, no problem, you go get it fixed. But if you have a mental issue, you must be weak. This view however, is inconsistent with the Bible. The scripture sees each person holistically as body, soul, and spirit. Look up the scripture, verse 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where Paul talks about how we, God wants us to be whole in our spirit, soul, and body. What happens in our body can affect our spirit. What happens in our spirit can affect our body. What happens in our soul can affect our spirit. Each part impacts one another. It's an integrated whole. So to dichotomize the mind from the body is to stigmatize it. This is the difference between the Greek way of thinking and the Hebrew way. Greek thinking, which is the foundation of our Western thought, holds on to the mind-body dichotomy, while the Hebrew paradigm, which is the biblical perspective, sees each person as an integrated whole. We need to see each person the way that God does, and that is in a holistic way and not in a compartmentalized manner. Now, one of the best ways to overcome the stigma of mental health is to see that mental health breakdown is the same as any other of our organs that break down. If you have a stomach problem or a heart problem, you go to the doctor and get it fixed. Mental illness comes from our brain breaking down, and it's just like any other organ. The brain not only has physical functions, like pumping out hormones and directing our body, it also has intellectual and emotional functions. Controlling our thoughts, our memories, our mood, reasoning, decisions, feelings, relationships, and more. And this is a testament to the power of the brain as an organ. It's not just a physical organ, but an emotional and intellectual one as well. It has a triple function. Your hand does not make decisions. Your toes do not feel sad. Your knee does not get into a bad mood. It's your mind that does. It's the most powerful organ that you have along with your heart. So if it breaks down, we need to fix its parts just like any other organ. Now the Bible is filled with examples of God coming to heal our mental faculties. Think of the demoniac who was filled with a legion of demons. Now, back in those times, the word legion was a Roman terminology referring to over 3,000 people in a military troop. So the Bible is saying here, this is a man that was greatly afflicted, had 3,000 demonic personalities or spirits inside of him. He was under such mental anguish and oppression that he lived in the cemetery and was constantly self-harming. But what does the scripture say at the end of his deliverance when Jesus touched him? It says he was clothed in his right mind. Mark chapter 5, verse 15. When King Saul was tormented by madness and insanity, what did God do? He sent David to play the harp so that he would be comforted. Luke 18, 4, 18 says part of Jesus' explicit mission was to set the oppressed free. Set the oppressed free. In Acts 10, 10 verse 38. Speaks of Jesus, how he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Now, note the connection that the scripture says that Jesus was filled with power so that he could heal those who were oppressed by the devil. This speaks to how entrenched, how difficult, how deep our mental illnesses can be. And it takes the power of God to displace and to heal. So these are not like things. Heaven understands and, and sends the Holy Spirit to heal and to rescue us. God cares deeply, clearly about our mental health. Our mind is one of the greatest organs that God has given to us for our well-being. That's why Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more we're aligned with God's word, the more we're aligned with God's truth, the more we're aligned with heaven and God's heart, mental wellness comes to us. Mental illness gets cured. But the enemy and the world and our culture is constantly bombarding us with things that bring us down and harm us. Hence, Paul understood with great clarity. We have to have our thoughts and our mind to be transformed. King David was one of the best at self-care and maintaining mental health, which makes Psalms one of the best books for our mental well-being. Just a few scriptures that I've called out from Psalms. Chapter 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You know how people say, oh, God is so far away. When I talk to him, he, he doesn't seem to hear me. That's the opposite of what the scripture says. He says he's near to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, your body can be crushed and you can be fine. But if your spirit is crushed, it's almost game over. The Bible says he's close to those who are crushed in spirit. Chapter 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. He hears our cry. He sees our tears. He sees the heartache and the heartbreak. Chapter 43, verse 5, why my soul are you cast down? David is talking to himself. He has self-awareness. So much of mental wellness and recovery is about self-awareness. And here David has that awareness, and he's talking to himself. Why are you cast down? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Chapter 145, verse 14, the Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. At the heart of why Psalms is such a powerful book for us is because David is talking to a God who cares, God who loves, God who listens and understands, heals and protects, restores. He's our ever-present helper. No wonder David refers to God as the great shepherd in chapter 23. And what is it about a shepherd that makes him so attractive? There are many things that we could talk about, but in regard to mental health, I want to call out one characteristic in particular. It's the gentleness of God. When we are in a fragile state, we want to know that we will be handled with care. And this is where Matthew chapter 12 comes in, which is our central verse for today. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, My beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. There's that connection again. The power of God, the authority of God, the anointing of God, as we heard from Acts chapter 10. God has endued that in his son. And he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And his name, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So verse 20 there is key. What does God spend his power and might on? Verse 20, tending to bruised reeds, battered reeds, and smoldering wicks. He does not despise us when we are bruised or flickering, He does not break us off or snuff us out. Rather, he leads justice to victory. Now, it's interesting when you look at the Greek meaning there for the word justice in verse 20. The word there is krisis. And if it looks familiar, it should be because it's our word that we use for crisis. So when we read this verse and we understand the Greek meaning behind it, another way to look at this verse is to say a battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads healing our crisis to victory. Being battered and feeling like our light is going out is part and parcel of the human condition. and God comes to minister to us at a foundational level. God is the master of healing our fragile state. Another way to say this is, your distress does not scare me. I want to be with you. I want to know about your loneliness, your isolation, alienation, the burdens that you have, how you feel embarrassed, the sin, the addiction, feeling of not being good enough, your sense of failure, failure, or feeling like you're not lovable. What kind of environment would make us come out of the shadows and the darkness and the fears that we have? What kind of environment would allow us to make ourselves vulnerable to speak and to share with someone our deepest struggles? It goes back to this verse. We're willing to do that when we know someone will handle us with gentleness. And that's who God is. He is the safest person in the world. God is a sanctuary of gentleness. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can look at the story just prior to this section because it's really, really important. We have a powerful and beautiful picture of God being the sanctuary of gentleness. And the story is that there was a man with a withered hand. The scene was a Sabbath service, and this man was in attendance. Attendance. But little did he know that he would encounter the power of Jesus. As a man with a withered hand, he was economically disadvantaged. There were not many tasks that he could do. Thus, there weren't many jobs that he could be hired for. And back then, there was no medical procedures to fix his hand. There was no medicines to take to heal it. His inability to be a part of normal society marginalized him. This affected his sense of self, his confidence, his mental state. Your hand represents your power. But this man was a walking picture of powerlessness. Anytime he looked for work, the moment a potential employer looked at his hand, they discounted him, and he felt hopeless. Now he was in a service on Saturday night, and Jesus saw him. Holy Spirit spoke to Jesus, and Jesus knew what he was going to do for this man. But Jesus had to run a gauntlet to heal him. The religious leaders sensed that Jesus was about to do something illegal, which was to heal the man on the day of rest. And they would see that Jesus would be caught red-handed working on the Sabbath. To the Jews, the fourth commandment was one of the holiest of all the commandments. You did not violate God's commandment to rest. Even to this day, Mimi and I were in Jerusalem a couple years ago. You go to Jerusalem, and in the hotels, they will disable the elevators on Saturday so that you cannot push the button to direct which floor you want to go to. That's how intense it is. But Jesus was about to flip the script. Whereas the religious leaders made this man feel fearful, Jesus made this man feel safe. The Pharisees and Sadducees had it wrong. It's not illegal to heal on the Sabbath. Just as a man doesn't hesitate to rescue his sheep that's fallen into a ditch, whether it's the Sabbath or not, God does not hesitate to heal who are his on the Sabbath. So the scripture says, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. As he stretched it out, it was restored to normal like the other. Can you imagine that moment? You're sitting there, probably in the back of the synagogue. All of a sudden, Jesus calls you out. You're embarrassed. You might even be thinking, me? And Jesus says, yeah, you. He says, stretch out your hand. And instinctively, he didn't stretch out his good hand. He instinctively stretched out his bad hand because he knew there was something about Jesus. There was something safe about Jesus. And so he stretched out his withered hand, and literally in that millisecond from his chest to his extension, it got healed. Amazing, crazy, insane moment. Now, you would think that the synagogue and all the people that were sitting there would erupt in excitement and jubilation, but instead, the religious leaders just threw their theology and created this dampening on the atmosphere to them it was such a brazen violation of god's law in verse 14 it says that they conspired how to destroy jesus they should have been leading the parade for this man but instead now they're ready to kill not just kill but to destroy to decimate jesus that's how blind they were to the goodness and the love and the care and the gentleness of god Jesus completely understood the stakes. It's not like he sort of bumbled into this. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew there was a gauntlet there. He knew the price of healing that man's hand. Ultimately, that's why Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. He's willing to pay the price. So he healed this man nevertheless because it's who God is. He sees our battered condition and he heals us. Now, this man was not just physically healed, he was emotionally healed. Can you imagine the feelings he had when he looked at his perfectly functioning hand? I can open, I can close it, I have strength in it, I have a grip, I can grasp things. I'm normal, I can work. This changes everything about my life. In one moment, Jesus, Jesus healed him on the outside, but maybe more importantly, on the inside. To God, there was no difference in, this, in the value of this man to father. Whether he was withered, whether he was blind, whether he was crippled, that made no difference. But God sees our human condition and he comes to lift us out of that and all the mental stress and anguish that comes with it. And so now the man is completely new on the inside because of what God did for him. Not only was he healed externally he was healed internally. A battered reed, he will not break off. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. That's our God. That's the God of the Bible. There's another important part of the story it's that God initiated the healing. Jesus wasn't passively waiting for the man to make his way up to the front and say, Jesus, can you please pray for me? No, God initiated this event, and he said, stretch out your hand. And God is asking you and me to stretch out our hand towards him. That sense of powerlessness, the withered condition, God says, stretch it out towards me. I've got it. To reach out to him is to reach out and experience his love. Now, this is why in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself said, Come to me, all who are heavy, weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I hear you all saying the word, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did Jesus say about himself? I am gentle the basis of his invitation to us is his gentleness and lowliness. Do you think the man with the withered hand was not a little bit weary and burdened? Do you think this man felt like maybe that life had dealt him the wrong cards? Do you think that this man felt he needed some rest from all the self-defeating thoughts he had about himself? For sure. And when Jesus saw him, he said, I'm going to lead justice to victory in this man's life. that's what he did. Now, when we talk about God's gentleness, we're not talking about a limp handshake. Oh, that guy's so gentle. You shake his hand, it's just like, Or a mellow personality. Hey, man, I'm so chill. That's not a gentle personality. Or someone who's soft-spoken or someone that is weak and can be pushed around. That does not represent the biblical picture of God's gentleness. God's gentleness is not weakness. Rather, we're talking about a fierce gentleness, a gentleness that goes to war, a gentleness that conquers, and a gentleness that leads justice to victory. Mental illness may be a giant, but it's not even close to comparable to God's love and care. So clearly, God is a refuge for our difficulties, a refuge of safety. Forty-one times David uses the word refuge in the book of Psalms. David went through so many situations in his life, and we don't have time to go through the the biography of David and all the mental difficulties and stress he went through, starting when King Saul was throwing spears at him. And David must be thinking, God, is this how my calling is supposed to start? I'm supposed to be the king, and and he's supposed to anoint me to be a successor, but he's trying to kill me. Or you think about the time when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and just the pain and the shame that he brought upon the nation and himself, but ultimately to God. The stain that's now written into our Bible. Or when his son Absalom came against him and tried to overthrow him. No wonder David said 41 times, I run to my God and he is my refuge. When we run to him, As Jesus invites us to do in Matthew 11, we run into his arms of love and a sanctuary of his gentleness. We have the greatest, most powerful resource to address our mental health, and it's God himself. But God provides another wonderful resource. His image is found in the community of God's people. As a church, we need to realize that tending to mental health is not an afterthought. Rather, it's part and parcel of gospel flourishing and covenant care. In Luke chapter 21, God speaks to the fact that mental health is one of the critical end time signs. Jesus prophesied to us 2,000 years ago that one of the signs of the last days is not just earthquake, not just famine, not just pestilence. It's a mental health signpost that we need to see. And so the verse here in Luke 21 says, And Jesus is speaking, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and the earth dismay among nations perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectations of things to come which are coming upon the world, like COVID-19. Verse 34 and 35, be on guard so that your heart will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that day will not come on you suddenly, that it will not come on you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. COVID has touched every nation. Dissipation, that's the key word there in verse 34, that men will be given to dissipation because of the fear, because of the stress, because of the circumstances and because of the situations that are just adding so much pressure to the world. Dissipation will be a mark of the last days and dissipation is about our mental health and our mental wellness. The reason why we're given to drinking and sex and addiction and food and shopping and tranquilizers and acting out is because we're stressed out. We are angst-filled and anxiety-filled and we need to cope. The pain has to go somewhere, and so we dull the pain. And we need to dissipate. I'm not faring well, I feel down. I don't feel right. I feel out of it. It's amazing how Jesus called out with such clarity that mental health is one of the signs of the last days. It's a prophetic theme and Jesus prophesied it. So we as the church must also move prophetically, which to say that we need to which is to say that we need to recognize it and we need to move to be part of God's solution. We're called to be a sanctuary of safety and understanding, just like God. And provide the social community for healing because relational connection is such a big part of restoration. Let me end with a couple quotes from the video series. A tree is only as strong as the forest that surrounds it. Sick trees in a forest are supported by healthy trees. And the root systems actually connect. And they send nutrients to the root systems to support the sick ones. From a lady describing her healing process, she says this. When I think about my experiences of recovery, it's as if there was a little flicker, like on a candle, that's in a breeze almost about to blow out. And hands are put around it, and it allows that flame to grow until I was able to put my hands around it myself. She was basically quoting Matthew 12. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. So I want to have a little bit of time of prayer here. I'm going to ask our piano player to come on up. Last week, um, we began a new aspect of our service where we're going to close off with a little bit of ministry time. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to just come and sit with us wherever we are. And You might be in your living room. You might be in your study. You might be in a car. You might be in a park bench. This is a moment for the Holy Spirit to just come and sit with you And so we just pray right now. Come Holy Spirit. Our whole life is before you. You know the things that we have walked through. You know our pain points. And we thank you, God, that you are not far away. But that you woo us with your gentleness. You woo us with your kindness. And so would you come and begin to just soften our hearts, dismantle the fear, dismantle the habits, begin to bring down the giants, God, that have ruled our lives and ruled our thoughts. There are some that have lived in a place of darkness and you've been afraid to open just the shades of your room, lest any light come in. You've been afraid to be exposed or for someone to really see you. But there's something that's drawing you to say, no, I want to see the sunlight. I want some light to come in. I don't want to live in this darkness anymore. Maybe your best friend doesn't know it. Maybe even your spouse doesn't know it. But God knows it. And that's your starting point. Say, God, I'm opening the window to you. Shed your light on my life. Begin to set me free. The Holy Spirit will come and He will begin to undo the chains. He will begin to bring that sense of freedom. Literally, as you're sitting there right now, just close your eyes. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Touch me. Fill me struggle too long. I don't need to be my own helper. Maybe you've never prayed to God, ever. And this is the first time that you've heard about God's gentleness or God's care. I invite you to say, God, if you're there, touch me and speak to me this week in some way so I know that you hear this prayer. Jesus invited the man with the withered hand to stretch out his hand. Stretch it out, friend, stretch it out. That feeling that you don't have any power over this thing, it matters not because God has power over it. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Right now. I encourage you to write down any scriptures that God is speaking to you, pictures that he's giving to you, Don't let it float away. The devil will come and steal the thought. He will come and steal the picture. Write it down. What the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And nurture and water that thought. Because God is going to use it to bring freedom and healing to you. The end of this passage, it says that in Jesus, the Gentiles will put their hope. I speak. Father God, according to your gospel, I speak according to your burden. I speak according to your love. Let your hope be poured out on every person, Father God, that's hearing this message. Let it just billow in like clouds and fill their hearts and fill their minds. I break, Father God, the oppression of suicide. I break the oppression, Lord of those who are laboring and been thinking about this even for weeks, perish the thought in Jesus' name because God is coming to the rescue. In you, Jesus, the Gentiles, will hope and you will lead justice to victory. So Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are a sanctuary of gentleness Lord, help us to take those steps towards you to enter, God, that sacred place of safety and understanding as you come to minister to us. We thank you and we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Next week, I'm going to be doing part two uh, of our series, and I'm going to be talking in particular about mental health and emotional intelligence. So blessings. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.